0: I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 13. Um, And last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus together, even if we couldn't exactly celebrate together. Um, And Jesus' story had come full circle. He accomplished what he'd always set out to accomplish. He did exactly what the prophet Isaiah and the other prophets said he would do and he triumphed over death as only the Son of God could. However, as we take a look at the disciples' reactions today, we learn that God's perfect plan wasn't readily apparent to everyone. Many were left wondering what would come next. Their king had been put to death and they were now without a leader and they thought without a savior, they were lost. And that brings us to our text today, which again is Luke 24, starting with verse 13. And please stand for the reading of God's Word. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Word of the Lord, let's pray. Father in heaven, only you truly know what is happening in our world, whether 2000 years ago, during this pandemic right now or in the future, may your words bring us comfort And encourage us to have faith that you truly have everything under control. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think that maybe it's been just long enough since this particular event. Um, It's probably still risky to bring it up for some, but I'm going to do that anyway. Um, And we're going to talk about this. So the year was 2015, and it was early February. I was working graveyard shifts at Home Depot at the time, but had this particular Sunday night free. And so, along with most everyone I know, especially in the Pacific Northwest, but around the country, I spent my evening in a restaurant, shoulder to shoulder, with mostly strangers, staring at one of the many big-screen TVs spread throughout the establishment. And for over three hours, along with more than a hundred other people, I cheered and I booed and I sweat as the Seahawks battled the Patriots in Super Bowl Forty Nine, What an emotional game it was. The momentum had changed over and over again. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, led his team down the field to take the lead with only a couple of minutes left remaining. The atmosphere, which was once, and usually, obnoxiously loud and full of life, had grown quiet. But we had Russell Wilson. And not to be outdone, he led his team right down the field as well. And if you want to talk about miracles, go ahead and look up Jermaine Curse's catch with 90 seconds left. That was a miracle. And so with less than a minute remaining, everyone braced themselves for what could truly be a magical moment. The Seahawks, on the brink of defeat, had marched the ball to the two-yard line, and we knew they were going to score, and we knew they were going to win. And then the unthinkable happened. Russell Wilson threw an interception in the end zone. And I don't remember how exactly, uh, but I went from being on my toes watching the screen, I hadn't been sitting for probably the last 15 minutes, um, and somehow I, I ended up on my knees with my head in my hands in the middle of the restaurant between a couple of tables, and I thought I might start to cry. It hurt so bad. and. That might seem like a bit of a stretch, but for those of you who watched the Seahawks-Niners game here at church last year and saw me react to that game can probably attest that I do get a little too excited while watching football. But Wilson throws this interception and the place goes absolutely silent. But there were, for a few moments, still maybe a slight glimmer of hope. Maybe there was a penalty, a flag on the field, and the interception would be overturned. But after a few moments, we realized that that wasn't going to happen. Maybe Brady would get knocked backwards for a safety on the next play and the Seahawks would get the ball back with a slight chance of winning still. But as always, Michael Bennett jumped offsides, and uh, the clock wound down to zero and the game was over. Within minutes, everyone had paid their bills and we were walking out into the cold and the dark. We'd spent the last four hours together joking, laughing, celebrating on the edge of our seats together. But now there was nothing left to say. We were together, alone, trying to process the unthinkable ending we had just witnessed. A man wearing a Patriots jersey cheered and mocked us as we moped past him towards our cars. We lacked the energy or motivation to stand up for ourselves, or to even stand up for the team. How could Russell Wilson fail? More importantly, why didn't they just give the ball to Marshawn Lynch? That was a difficult and confusing journey home. That was a long car ride. As the companions in our text today trudged towards Emmaus, after those devastating few days, they may have felt some of the same feelings, though those obviously, those feelings would be amplified. Um, Rather than watching and rooting for Jesus for a few months, They had devoted their lives and attached all of their hope to him. And what a traumatic experience they'd been through. They would had their world completely torn apart. And surely there were a few points during the crucifixion, during Jesus' arrest, where they hoped and they thought that maybe there was a glimmer of hope. Maybe Jesus would pull himself off the cross. Maybe a miracle would take place and Jesus would, would surprise everybody and pull himself off the cross, and live. But that didn't happen, and Jesus died. And when that tomb was sealed, they knew it was over. And so I encourage you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment, walking along a dirt road from a big city. You've just lost everything you've put your hope and your faith in, and now you have to start over. You might have to find a job. You might have to find a whole new way of life. And this is also maybe even a little embarrassing. People knew you'd left everything for this Jesus guy because he was supposed to be the savior of the world. And now he's dead. What a fool you look like for believing that one man could save Israel. And now, sure, you've heard these rumors that the tomb is empty. You've heard Mary may have seen an angel. But you yourself haven't seen Jesus. And you've already accepted that he's dead. Why allow yourself to get hopeful? Sure, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but could he really bring himself back to life? Probably not. You speak in quiet, mumbled tones with your companion. You endure extended stretches of silence as you walk together, trying to come to grips with what you've just lost. How could Jesus fail? Was this really God's plan? You see, we don't always see what Jesus is doing. In our limited ability to process, it's easy to lose sight or to never even gain sight of how God is working in our lives and the lives around us, how God is working through a broken world. But Jesus provides the answers and the hope that we seek. Jesus walks with and listens to us through our confusion. He explains God's promises through the word. And Christ reveals himself as a Savior and comes to us in the breaking of the bread. Truly, God gives us a brand new perspective, even when, and maybe especially when, we are are unable to comprehend what's going on in this broken world. Given the circumstances we live in today, isn't that great news? Our travelers, unaware or at least unsure of Jesus' resurrection, are journeying towards Emmaus when Jesus himself walks up on them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And what exactly does that mean? There are two likely explanations for this. Either their eyes are held back because of their sinful condition, implying that without Christ, man is blind to the presence and the works of Jesus around him, or God purposely held their eyes back so that Jesus could teach and so that the recognition would come instead with the breaking of the bread. Knowing how excitable man is, would Jesus' teaching be as impactful if he had revealed himself right away? No, I don't think so. Of course not. The two would be so overjoyed at his presence that they would likely miss the explanation and all that happened next. So either way, they don't initially recognize their king, and Jesus asks a remarkable question. He asks, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Hey, what are you guys talking about? What? This guy can't be serious, they must have thought. And so, rubbing salt in their own wounds, they proceed to tell this mystery traveler the story of the death of the most influential man the world has ever known. They tell of who Jesus was, how he was condemned to death, and that he was crucified. They lamented that their hopes that one day Jesus would redeem Israel had been crushed. And finally, they explained that there were two reports that the tomb was now empty and a woman had claimed to have seen angels who told her that Jesus was alive once more. They didn't know what to believe. They were confused. Now, obviously, Jesus knew all of this. Uh, He is the main character in the story, after all, so why would he ask these men to explain everything to him? Why didn't he just start with his explanation of what had transpired? Rather than immediately launching into a monologue to explain away their confusion, Jesus chooses to listen and to walk with them in the midst of their confusion. And thankfully, he does the same for us. Are we inclined to listen when we're angry or when we're sad or when we're hurting or when we're confused? Are we likely to learn when someone sees us suffering and immediately goes about trying to fix it? Growing up with brothers has been awesome. I have two, two younger brothers, uh, but it, would have been, it there would have been a few benefits to having a sister, I'm sure, and one of those benefits, I imagine would have been learning to listen to someone's pain and trying to truly understand it, rather than immediately trying to fix something. Women do seem to do that better than men, and it's a learning process for me now. I'm working on it. But there's so much value in that. And in my experience, one of the most cathartic things one can do when they're struggling is to simply talk their way through with someone who is willing to listen, someone who truly cares. I cannot tell you how many times in my own life I've sat down and just explained my struggles to someone whom I can trust and immediately felt more peace afterwards. And this almost seems to be what Jesus is doing here, allowing these two to explain their situation and release some of that pent-up grief that they're holding deep within them. But you see, Jesus hasn't changed. This isn't new. He looked back through the Gospels. He listened to the cries of the sinner during his ministry. He listened to the plea of the criminal during his crucifixion. He listened to the two journeying to Emmaus on the road, and he listens to us when we pray through our struggles, our heartaches, our loneliness. Like a loving friend, Jesus walks with us in our confusion, and he listens. He already knows what's going on but he listens. After these men finish pouring out their hearts, Jesus launches into his side of the story. Verse 25 says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? He says, Guys, haven't you read the words of the prophets? Don't you realize that everything this Jesus guy did was necessary? These disciples, in their emotion of losing their king, failed to comprehend why Jesus had to die. They weren't able to see the necessity of his death. Instead, they saw the events from only their human perspective, a perspective that painted a completely different picture than the reality, the reality that Jesus had to die in order to save us from our sins. The reality that through death, Jesus actually did reconcile Israel, just as they'd hoped. And the truth was right there in the scriptures for them. And so now it's Jesus' turn to talk, and he spends the rest of their journey teaching these disciples about the prophecies, walking them through the scriptures, with the very, starting from the very beginning so that they can truly understand what Jesus' life was meant to accomplish. He explains the scripture as only he could, and that's important for us to remember today. Those disciples on the road to to Emmaus needed Jesus to interpret those events for them. On their own, they could not have understood the scripture. They needed Jesus to give them that brand new perspective. And aren't we the same way? A little history lesson, it's widely speculated that Cleopas' name is used because he was known well enough to be recognized by Luke's audience in his writing. In fact, many say that Cleopas is another name for Clopas, who is Joseph's brother, therefore Jesus' uncle. And it's believed that his traveling partner was his son Simeon, who would later become the leader of the Jerusalem church after 70 AD. So these are not just fanboys of Jesus, these are true followers of Christ and yet they could not even understand the scriptures on their own. And that's shown in their response to Jesus' death. Therefore, we need to humbly keep this in mind. Only through Christ can we understand the beautiful truths written in this book. Isn't it good that Christ is willing to walk through the scripture with us and interpret the good word for us? As Jesus finishes interpreting scripture, the three draw close to the village of Emmaus. Stay the evening with us, the two men urge. It's getting late. We've been walking a long time. Little did they know they would joyfully be making the journey back to Jerusalem that very same night. And the three sit down and Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. And at that moment, the gospel says, their eyes were opened. Now, this is a very powerful phrase. This isn't just referring to the physical vision of the disciples, right? Their eyes have been physically open the whole time. Rather, it speaks to the metaphysical understanding that takes place, one that transcends our limited ability to comprehend. The same terminology is used in Genesis 3:7, describing Adam and Eve after they take a bite of the forbidden fruit. As soon as they tasted the fruit... For the very first time, they realized they were naked. Now, they'd been naked their entire lives, and surely they must have noticed that by now. But by biting into the forbidden fruit, they had opened the door to sin, and it came rushing into the world, and they realized that they were vulnerable, and they were guilty. Their eyes were opened. To explain this idea further, I'll bring you back to the days of elementary school. I'm 10 years old, And along with my classmates, I'm trying to wrap my head around difficult multiplication tables. My friends and I are staring at the papers in front of us, blank expressions on our faces. And this blankness, uh, for some of us more rapidly than others, begins to transform into frustration as we impatiently attempt to urge our developing minds to understand the equations in front of us. Eventually, the teacher comes over to help. And as she's explaining, there's a change that takes place. The student next to me unfurls her brow, her eyes light up, and a smile explodes onto her face. Oh, I get it, she proclaims as she proudly writes the correct number for the answer. The teacher smiles, says good job, and walks to a table across the room to help a different group of struggling students. In my mind, the phrase is, I get it, uh, but especially, I don't get it, will forever be associated with growing up. But in this very instant, these two men recognize Jesus for the first time. These disciples get it. And immediately, Jesus vanishes, off to continue teaching somewhere else. So it is true, Jesus really has risen from the dead. Their king has returned. And what an incredibly fitting way for Jesus to make himself known to his disciples. Remember, it was only a few days ago that Jesus broke bread with his disciples at the Passover, saying he wouldn't eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, as it says in Luke 22:16. And here he is, eating again, having fulfilled the prophecies, having fulfilled God's purpose for his life and he invites you to the table with him to partake. And every time we take communion, we are doing just that, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us, repenting, and then ultimately rejoicing for his work on the cross. Isn't it fitting that breaking bread would be how Jesus revealed himself in our story today? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the minister of Westminster Chapel in London and he tells a story of a conversation he had in 1930. And he was speaking with a man who had once been heavily involved with the church uh, Lloyd-Jones was visiting, but this man was mired in a state of depression and he had dropped all work at the church. And so the elders of this church asked Dr. Lloyd-Jones to meet with this man and he agreed and this conversation ensued. I said to him, you look depressed. He was like the men on the road to Emmaus. One glance at this man told me all I needed to know about him. I saw the typical face and attitude of a man who was depressed and discouraged. I said, now tell me, what's the trouble? Well, he said, I get these headaches. I'm never free from them. I wake up with one in the morning and I can't sleep too well either." He added that he also suffered from gastric pains and so on. "'Tell me,' I said, "'how long have you been like this?' "'Oh,' he said, "'it's, it's been going on for years. As a matter of fact, it's been going on since 1915.' "'I'm interested to hear this,' I said. "'How did it begin?' He said, "'Well, when the war broke out in 1914, I volunteered very early on and went into the Navy. Eventually, I was transferred to a submarine, which was sent to the Mediterranean. One afternoon, we were engaged in action. We were submerged in the sea, and we were all engaged in our duties when suddenly there was the most terrible thud, and the submarine shook. We'd been hit by a mine, and down we sunk to the bottom of the Mediterranean. You know, since then, I've never been the same man. Well, I said, please tell me the rest of your story. But, he said, there's nothing really more to say. I'm just telling you how that's how I've ever been since that happened to me in the Mediterranean. But, my dear friend, I said, I really would be interested to know the remainder of the story, but I've told you the whole story. And this went on for some considerable amount of time, it was part of my treatment. I said again, now I really would like to know the whole story, start from the beginning again. And he told me how he had volunteered, he joined the Navy, he was posted on a submarine, went to the Mediterranean, and everything was all right until the afternoon they were engaged in combat, and the sudden thud and the shaking, and down to the bottom of the Mediterranean they went, and I've been like this ever since. Again, I said, tell me the rest of the story, and I took him step by step. We came to that dramatic afternoon, the thud, the shaking of the submarine. Down it went to the bottom of the Mediterranean. Go on, I said. There's nothing more to be said. I said, are you still at the bottom of the Mediterranean? You see, physically he was not, but mentally he was. He had remained at the bottom of the Mediterranean ever since. So I went on to say to him, that's your whole trouble. All your troubles are due to the fact that in your own mind, you are still at the bottom of the Mediterranean. Why didn't you tell me that somehow or another you came up to the surface? Or that someone on another ship saw you, got a hold of you, and got you aboard his ship? That you were treated there and eventually brought back to England and put into a hospital and recovered? Then I got all the facts out of him. I said, Why didn't you tell me all of that? You stopped at the bottom of the Mediterranean. This man's perspective was so fixated on what went wrong that he couldn't even recognize what went right. And that was the problem with these two disciples walking to Emmaus. And folks, that's true of us too today. We can get stuck at the bottom of the Mediterranean. With this virus going around, there's some, a lot of things that have changed. Um, and I'm going to just be perfectly honest with you. I am sick of using Zoom and Facebook Live. I miss all of you. I especially miss my grandparents, who I'm not able to see in person. And I can tell you with absolute certainty at this point, I really don't like preaching to an almost empty sanctuary. It's not, not ideal. And I will admit that I have let those feelings of confusion and frustration block me from seeing what Jesus has really been up to. But through Jesus, we are able to see the world with a brand new perspective. We more clearly see the teachers in our community working their very hardest to provide an education for our children. We see grocery store clerks in a new, much more compassionate light as they work day after day in difficult situations. And how about our friends and our family and our neighbors who are working in the medical field sacrificing time with loved ones, sacrificing sleep, all to help us stay healthy. Praise God for them. So to everyone listening or watching on Facebook Live, let me remind you today. Jesus will walk alongside you during these confusing times in which we live. Jesus will speak to you through the word of God, and Jesus will open your eyes and give you a brand new perspective. He's at work among us right now. And what he's doing now will certainly show up down the road. Jesus provides the answers, and he provides the hope. Trust that he will. Amen.